Welcome to The Paradigm Concept, hosted by myself, Dr. David Rollis, CEO of Paradigm Oral Health. The Paradigm Concept will feature leaders and innovators in the healthcare industry, in particular dentistry, to help you find new, efficient, and innovative ways to build a world-class practice and deliver better patient care. At Paradigm Oral Health, we're all about shaping the future of our specialty, with a focus on putting the needs of the patient first. Learn more and subscribe today at ParadigmOralHealth.com. Hi, this is David Rollis, CEO of Paradigm Oral Health. I'm joined today by Andrew Neil Kniglicker, who is the global head of dental and senior vice president for ZimV, a global life science business with focus on dental implants and spine. I've recently gotten to know Indranil and really enjoyed learning from him. I think this will be a great opportunity for all the individuals across our platform and others in dentistry to learn some great lessons today. So Indranil, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks a lot, Dr. Alessa. It's great to be here and looking forward to our conversation. It's been great getting to know you as well, as well as uh, we enjoy our partnership with Paradigm and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Well, likewise. So I've used this podcast or these discussions really almost selfishly just so I can learn from people that are interesting and hopefully become uh, better at operating our own business. You obviously lead a company that operates across a huge geography and is diverse in offerings. So I know there's a lot that we can learn from you. And I'd love to ask you questions around sort of three areas. First, I'd like to learn more about Zimvi and then specifically your background and what brought you to the dental implant space. And then what lessons you might take from businesses you've been a part of that could translate into our business at Paradigm or into any dental office or dental specialist office. And then last, what you see for the future of dentistry, especially implant dentistry. If that sounds like a reasonable plan, we can get started. Sounds great. All right. Well, first, just I think it'd be great for everyone to learn a little bit about the history of Zimvi and your background and how you came to lead the organization. So Zimvi is a young company in one sense, but not young in other. And what I mean by that is we are a spin-off from Zimmer Biomed, and we have been spun off only for the last 15 to 17 months or so. And we are a global healthcare company with almost a billion dollars of revenue. More than half of our revenue comes from dental, and dental is the focus of the company going forward, which is a growth driver for us. But while we are a new company, we have a long legacy. Zimvi, especially as it caters to dental side, is kind of a merger of what you call Legacy Zimmer Dental and Legacy Biomed 3i. And both those organizations were probably one of the first few companies in the U.S. as well as global market that launched dental implants back in the late 80s and early 90s. So combined together with these both organizations, we have over 60 years of legacy, 30 years from each of those. And it's a privilege for me to lead this organization. We are one of the leaders in dental implants, and I'm very excited about the market as well as the future of our business. And that's what keeps me going. As it relates to how I came here, if you had asked me right out of college, if I would be in dental implants industry, I would have laughed for that matter, even in Florida. But my background has been in mergers and acquisitions for the longest time. I started my career. So I'm an engineer by training. I did R&D engineering for about four years, then realized I was a lousy engineer. So went to business school, got my business degree and worked in management consulting, then mergers and acquisitions with Danaher. And then from there, 
I joined what it was at that time, Biomet. And then Biomet and Zimmer merged. And then I continued to work in m and And at some point, I said, if I want to stay in American corporate, it's probably better to take an operational leadership role. And at that time, there was an opportunity in the dental business, which I started about in 2017, leading parts of dental business. And one thing led to another. Then I took the responsibility of leading R&D and marketing and education as a general manager. And then we turned the performance of our business around through a variety of activities, reviving the product pipeline, acquiring a few companies. And that led to my recent responsibility, which is president of dental side for Zimbi. So again, very privileged to be here and very excited to be here as well. I wish I had an engineering background. I think you've told me before you went to a very prestigious engineering university. I wasn't an engineering major for a very short while and wanted to go to dental school and thought I should be a biology major for that. Fast forward, I wish I would have realized then I probably didn't need to go into biology. I probably would have learned something far more useful in engineering. With my job now, obviously a surgeon, but most of my time is spent leading our organization. But I feel like it's super helpful that I am a surgeon or have that background and, and still practice to some degree. I imagine, though, you're not doing anything like the actual engineering manufacturing behind devices and hardware and implants and all that. It's probably pretty great experience to just sort of know the processes and rigor and things that should go into a business like yours. Have you found that helpful over the years? Yeah, in different ways. So I believe where my engineering background came in handy is one is it kind of gives you a structured problem solving approach, which always helps. But besides that, my bachelor's and master's happened to be in material science. Again, dental implants was kind of a happenstance, but it's good to have that background where I can easily relate to most of the dental implant engineering related questions because of that background. I won't say that I intuitively understand everything, but it's easy to relate to that. That's one. The second is in my R&D engineering role, I also did a lot of software coding and development. As dentistry is moving more and more onto the digital side, it also allows me to relate to that aspect. So I think the software development experience and my material science background has helped me relate to the business quicker and develop empathy a lot faster. And the structured problem-solving skills always help you running any business, per se. Yeah, that has to be invaluable. I like to think about things unconventionally. I guess it's just how I'm wired. I like to think about it. There are different ways of doing things. And that's probably left its mark on paradigm to some degree. And we spend a lot of time thinking about differentiation or how we can build value for our patients or doctors that we get to work with or, you know, even our staff. What's your differentiation strategy at, at ZimV? I think sustained differentiation, as you mentioned, is a key to success in business. And there are three ways, in my opinion, in our business, we can differentiate. One is purely product portfolio. When it comes to product portfolio, we believe we not only offer great products that are as good as any other company's products backed by clinical data, probably the best products, but we clearly have a few of those which are differentiated. If you look at the complete end-to-end -end workflow, we believe we have the best software in business with real guide and best digital workflow. Our TSX implant that's newly launched as, along with T3 Pro are very well differentiated where they're well positioned for immediate cases 
but not too aggressive in the sense they're very predictable as well. Then our encode technology is unique in the sense that it combines the healing cap with impression taking, and that really simplifies the workflow. Followed by Puros, which is our leading bone graft product, which is the only product that uses Tutor Plus process. That's unique. And then we provide really good state-of-the-art patient-specific abutments. But if I had to pick three, four products, then it's a real guide, Encode, TSX, and Puros would be a clearly differentiated product that we have in our workflow. So that's the product part. But besides that, I think this business, medical education is very important. And that is where we stand apart from the pack in terms of the quality of education that we offer, as well as the flexibility of education we offer to both surgeons as well as their referrals. And finally, when it comes to service, we have a large presence, especially in the United States, where we believe that we can serve our customers really well in terms of satisfying their clinical needs as well as their business needs. So those are the three aspects on which we try to differentiate, starting with product and workflow solutions, medical education, and the service that we provide and the transactional experience that we provide in the field from with our rep. I feel like ENCODE is a technology that's always impressed me. And I think it was probably 10, 12 years ahead of its time even. I think if it had been introduced five years ago, it probably would have been just like a game changer. It was almost like too early, really. And I think the initial intent was for impressions, but then quickly, I think everyone recognized the scanning capabilities of it. I feel like it's never kind of like fully reached its potential. Do you, you see other opportunities for ENCODE? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So you're very right that as the digital dentistry has been adopted more and more, the power of ENCODE has increased quite a bit. But to give you an example, we launched ENCODE on TSV, which is a legacy Zimmer product on which ENCODE wasn't available before. And since then, that has really taken off. And now we are seeing a lot more of TSV and TSX users now starting to use ENCODE. So we have seen the uptake of it. The other big obstacle with adoption of ENCODE was the emergence profile. You needed to bone profile a little bit if you needed to use the old ENCODE technology. So we changed the emergence profile, we changed the color, we added matte finish that became made it easier to scan even while placing the abutment crestally. So all these advantages have really meant that our latest launch of ENCODE emergence has been adopted really well. In fact, when you look at our numbers, it has surpassed our expectations on how much it has been adopted compared to what the old product that we are selling. So that gives me confidence that we are in the on the right path when it comes to ENCODE. I think we will continue to innovate on it to make sure that it can be used in other indications besides single-use cases going forward, which can really help clinicians simplify the workflows in complicated procedures per se. The new updated ENCODE abutments, those are the root form, the tissue forming anatomically shaped abutments, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we call it ENCODE emergence. They have a better emergence profile for tissue forming. So it combines the tissue forming ability along with the healing cap and impression taking. And it's pink in color, so which is a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, even if you're going to use it in the back of the mouth and it has matte finish. So very excited about how the launch has gone so far. I think one of the challenges for ENCODE also was that 
it was restricted to in terms of decoding buying a certain package related to three shape now that we have included the encoding technology in our new software real guide in the fill suite any lab that can buy the software package can take advantage of the encode technology and, and it can truly help us spread it evangelize it in the field i don't really know a whole lot about how the algorithms and how that works but when someone scans the encode abutment or basically the similar to a scan body does the system get smarter the more and more scans that occur? Do you like capture data and able to uh, improve the accuracy over time based on historical data sets? When it comes to encode, it's fairly mechanical where the way it is designed, it doesn't need a lot of data from the past. But there are other aspects in our software where it does really become smarter when it starts getting more and more data, especially when it relates to crown design or bone segmentation for implant planning and guide design or smile design. Those are the places where the more data you have really matters uh, to improve software performance as well as making the software smarter. The encode decoding is largely mechanical based on okay. just um, how it's designed. That's kind of what I was wanting to understand or get at it. So your real guide software will continue to advance. Absolutely. I mean, it's a completely cloud-based software that can be used for implant planning, guide design, guide printing, as well as crown design, denture design, the whole gamut in a single module. I don't think okay. there's any other software where you can do all of those things end-to-end -end in, in a single module. Well, I think that's some great history and information about ZimV to kind of give some context to everybody. Moving on to categories, you, of course, get to see lots of companies, you said, in consulting, mergers and acquisitions, and obviously in healthcare. What have you found sort of lessons of companies that have succeeded or particularly companies as they grow? From my standpoint, the most important thing is, is the market attractive is the first question before even you look at the companies that you're going to purchase. In terms of, let's say, implant dentistry, the attractive segments would be the ones that have large market size and sizable growth. So those could be geographic presence or those could be technologies such as digital dentistry or those could be price points, etc. So once you determine that the market is attractive and the market attractiveness would be typically the size of the market, the growth of the market, the ability to preserve your gross margins and cyclicality, I would say mm -hmm. those four. And once you determine that the market is attractive, then the question is, is the target that you're looking at, is that attractive? Does it have a strong brand name? Does it have a strong presence that is sustainable. And once you're convinced about both those, then can you get it at the right price? And if all those three things align, then I think it's a great place for investment. And that's what I found in my career, that if you are very disciplined around these criteria and acquire companies, then they have worked out really well, as long as, of course, you execute well on integration and running those companies as well. I mean, in our case, in the implant industry, in the last couple of years, we have acquired implant concierge service that provides guided surgery services and RealGuide, the company that produces RealGuide. And in both these cases, I'm very happy that the founders and the CEOs of those companies are still with us and still working. And I think that's a testament to the kind of culture we are building. And that gives me confidence that if we find right companies that are in right segments backed by right individuals, then we would continue to invest in those and really move our business forward. That sounds like great advice. And in line with my experience, our 
practice paradigm and basically a large group practice has grown a nice blend of organic growth where we've practices have expanded in their own geographies or open new locations, new doctors have joined practices. And then we've also done some targeted mergers where it opened up new areas with the opportunity to work with great people. And I feel like the fit of the people, the alignment, or I shouldn't even say, I think you can be a, a great person and just not aligned with the mission of a company. It wouldn't yeah. necessarily be right or wrong. It just may not be for everyone. Yeah. For us, we are, I think, very focused on seen how we can use technology to do more, how we can are never satisfied with what happens today. It's like, how can we come to work tomorrow and be different and grow more? And that probably doesn't resonate with the practice that sort of is like in a winding down phase of their career, but it sort of aligns perfectly with practices that want to do things differently and be market leaders. But I found the integration has been so, so important so that you're not just a house of brands where you're not really providing anything, what's the purpose of the acquisition if you're not going to somehow do something better together? So integration has been really, really a key emphasis for us. It sounds like some of the things that you've done with, whether it's Real Guide or some of these other companies, you've had some real intent to the acquisitions and how you've integrated them. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in both those cases, to your point, not only those companies and the space was attractive, but we found that there were key synergies. For example, with Real Guide, it was a small company with a great product, but didn't have the access to the kind of sales force that we can provide. So that's been a great opportunity for that team to get their platform and product recognized across the world and being adopted so well. Similarly, with Implant Concierge, it's been getting them more exposure here in the US, but also ability to launch a similar service in Europe and in Asia Pacific. That's where the synergies came from to your point in terms of like, what's the point in just acquiring a company if there are no synergies? I think even for us, it's been a mixture of, as you mentioned, organic versus inorganic growth. And when it comes to organic growth, our focus has been new product innovation. So continuous cadence of launches that are meaningful and then differentiating ourselves in medical education, and then finally improving the transactional experience and improving our efficiencies when it comes to operations and manufacturing of products. So those are the things that we are focused on, and we have found those to be helpful in terms of winning in the market. I'm kind of paranoid by nature and almost operate from a place of fear, I guess, which is probably not the best strategy. But maybe because it's like my baby started as a single practice, and it's my life's work, and I want to feel that in 30 years, it's going to be in a better place than it is now. I'm always trying to figure out what do we need to do to not fail, especially with all of your consulting background and things as well. What have you seen in businesses, particularly maybe ones that are growing rapidly, that has contributed to mistakes or problems? By the way, your sentence reminded me, I think the Intel CEO has written a book called Paranoid, Only Paranoid Survives. So uh, I think you're, you're in a good company. I think Andy Grove was the person. <laughs> I'll look but that up. No. Anyways, I think to your point, I worry about that as well. And I think dental implants, while it's a great attractive market, it's very competitive as well. Very, very wow. competitive market. I mean, there are while there are some big companies, there are a lot of other small companies and our customer has a choice to go to many other providers. And in that context, what I've seen is that gaining market share in this market is while possible, and that is what we are aiming to do, and that is what we are succeeding to do, is not trivial. But losing market share, if you do wrong things, 
is very easy. And that's when, if I think about not making mistakes, it's, I think, rapid disruption that comes to mind. You have to be very cognizant of that. Don't do anything that is going to cause rapid disruption, whether it's in the field or anywhere, because dentistry, while it changes and while it is moving in the right direction where digital technology is getting adopted, it changes slowly or slowly more than I would like it to be, Okay, at least based on my experience. And that means you have to be very watchful of disruption. That means that you have to make sure that you retain the talent that you believe is necessary to be retained. That's one. The second is innovation becomes very critical because, again, it's a competitive industry. And if you don't have anything new and continuously improved to offer to your customers, then they're going to start getting antsy and start going to look elsewhere. Innovation in multiple sense, improving products, or as the workflow becomes more and more digital, if the value starts getting away from the product, to other things, then how do you capture the value by offering the entire workflow? Those are the things I've seen that are important in terms of not failing. So avoiding disruption and continuing to innovate to make sure that you capture the value and remain relevant would be a, probably the two things that come to mind. So so kind of a healthy blend of innovate, but don't do anything too disruptive that you mess up your team. True. I mean, especially in this market, I feel it's definitely more important. No, that makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot. Maybe moving on to a bit about the future and technology and things. I was at a conference this weekend and one of the speakers was talking about this concept of like aggregating marginal gains, which I think dates back a decade or more around like improving 1%, breaking everything down, probably kind of like an engineering approach of a very structured problem-solving methodology, but looking at like absolutely everything that you do and making each component just 1% better and that together you can have some pretty astronomical gains. I guess there was a, a British cycling team that adopted this in 2008 and went from like 76 years of failure to the next decade of winning tons of Olympic medals and their team won three Tour de France's so I was like feeling really good about this. I, I went to lecture on Saturday and I came home and was like trying to figure out all these things we could improve 1%. And then I read this article. I was doing some Google searching on it. And this person said, well, that's kind of like an antiquated concept. Like it's really great, but maybe not where you need to focus. And they talked about a Kenyan marathon runner who had, was the first runner to break the two hour time barrier for the marathon. But he had done it in this non-sanctioned event where it wasn't really totally legitimate they used like special running formations and people to pace him. And then he wore these shoes that I think Nike had developed that had a carbon plate in them. And they had been proven to like improve a marathon time as much as six minutes, just the shoe. So they were like, this is not a marginal gain. This is like a transformational gain. You could spend decades trying to improve a little bit, but you weren't going to beat the two hour time barrier. And this like transformational gain did. So that's probably a lot of backstory. But how do you think about like, where do you see in dentistry or like in our business, we're a practice delivering lots of implants. Where do you think we can improve in small intervals? And then do you see anything on the horizon that might be not a marginal gain, but like a maximal gain? Let me talk a little bit from the business that I manage from that standpoint. And then maybe I can share some thoughts on our customers, but you're far closer to that. So you'll probably have a far better ideas on those things. But I agree that both things are important. The way I would look at it, 
would be that our base business, which is largely somewhat of a mature market, the marginal gains become important because, I mean, compounding is a great thing. That's why you want to make sure that you're improving every day. And you'll have to do that well because, again, in this market that is so competitive, if you have large disruption, then things can fall apart. So that's, I think, critical. But on top of that, then maybe you can take two to three strategic bets. And those bets you'll have to take, whether it's in a particular geography, and I'm talking from my business standpoint, or a particular technology, or a particularly completely different direction that you want to take your business in, but while preserving your core. And if one of those three bets pan off, then you know you're going to have a great home run, and then you can build off of that. It's a never-ending cycle. I mean, once that pans out, then you'll have to think about what's next because the growth expectations are always going to be there. And in fact, the faster you grow, the harder and more challenging it's going to get. But that's how I'm thinking about Zimvi Dental per se, that you have to focus on the marginal gains and then maybe have two to three strategic bets that can help you get to the next level. When it comes to, I think, your business, which is doing dental implants and managing oral surgery practices, my thoughts would be, again, when you're thinking of expansion, the marginal part of it would be how to be a little bit better in terms of serving patients, improving the workflows, and delivering better patient care compared to what others are doing in that area, whether that's by partnering with better providers or educating the referrals more or just having better patient experience or a combination of all that. And I think in terms of exponential gains, I can think of a couple of things. One is probably just a technological angle. Can you do something leveraging technology that is proprietary that nobody else has? And that is truly either driving tremendous efficiency that allows you to scale up much faster or driving significantly better patient care where that becomes a no-brainer for the patient to opt for. I think one of those two things could come to mind. Mm -hmm. But yeah. again, as I said, I would be presumptuous to think that I know better about your business than you do. So those I, are just high-level thoughts. I suspect you probably know a lot. <laughs> you know, if I think about like marginal gains, probably like the actual implant itself, like implants are pretty good. They work 99% of the time or whatever. Yeah. Are there still opportunities, you know, in terms of the titanium the implant, the design, the surface technologies, do you see any opportunity for much advancement there? Or are we kind of getting to the mature state of that technology? And then in regards to like AI and automation, which is obviously a super hot topic these days, are there things that you guys are using or see in the future? So when it comes to implants, I agree with you that 95% plus success rate is a great success rate. I think purely in terms of product, how to design a product where you can do immediate cases and how to design a product that is going to mitigate the risk of infections down the line. Those are probably two places there would be focus, purely from clinical standpoint. And then I think outside of that, the focus on implant itself, the physical widget, would be how we can simplify and make the procedure easier, whether it is restorative platform or whether it's like technology such as ENCODE on how it simplifies the workflow, et cetera. So that becomes important. But I think to the practice, from based on what I've learned or known, even going from 96% of success rate to 98% of success rate makes a huge difference. 
So from that standpoint, partnering with the right products, as well as making sure that your protocols are well established, where it does give you that type of success rate might be very beneficial. And not every time it will be a product thing. It will be a combination of the product that you're using along with the workflow that you're using. So that's where I believe it's going to be focused on immediacy of implants, mitigating the risk of peri-implantitis, and simplifying the procedure when it comes to implant and restorative parts and pieces design. When it comes to the workflow, that is where I believe probably there is a lot more opportunity to improve. In terms of, if you look at today, the procedure, it takes anywhere between three to six months to complete multiple patient appointments. And there are the surgeon and the referral and the lab, three parties involved. And whatever you can do to minimize the time of the procedure, chair time as well as end-to-end treatment time from the, when the patient sees the surgeon and when the complete procedure gets done. And just the cost of time interacting with different parties, shipping materials from one place to another, whatever you can do to minimize that. I think that's where probably there is a lot more opportunity to improve efficiency, reduce the learning curve, improve the success rate and so on. And that's where I think digital dentistry will continue to play a bigger and bigger role going forward. And that's where, again, I'm very excited about the digital workflow that we have, starting with, uh, I think, the RealGuide platform that will probably be the easiest and most intuitive software to plan surgery, to share the cases with your referrals, allow them to see it and make changes even on their iPad or iPhone. And then if they want, provide a service for designing the guide or designing and printing the guide based on what they want all the way till the lab or the restorative dentist gets the final or patient-specific prosthetic. There is a lot of opportunity to improve that. That's where I think probably most of the innovation will come from besides a few of the things that I talked about. I think that's right on. There seems to be so many opportunities to improve. That's what's so exciting about, I guess, what I get to be a part of is how do we create the perfect practice? And and I get excited by all these different technology ideas, but a lot of it probably is just basics, educating patients, communicating with people, communicating with your team, training your team. I probably have like a whole lifetime of really basic things I can work on before (laughs) I even focus on technology, but obviously my mind kind of goes towards the exciting things. Even digital dentistry, it's great technology, but it is kind of addressing logistical issues and communication things. So it's not really doing anything that we were doing in the form of mail or whatever before, but certainly a lot more efficient. So I totally agree. I think the transformational changes are in terms of how we're communicating and getting access to experts and things that would have taken days or weeks to do before. Another article I was reading this weekend was a McKinsey article about like consumerism in healthcare, borrowing ideas from retail or service-oriented businesses to make the patient experience better, whether it's self registration or scheduling or giving people more control and transparency and sort of agency over their treatment or at least interaction with it. I suppose in your business and in how you're interacting with, you've got the patients and maybe the surgeons or dentists trying to be a little more consumer friendly. And then you guys are now supporting the providers, the surgeons, the doctors. You probably think about that too, like how our jobs changing a little bit as surgeons and the demands that we have and the kinds of services that we're doing, you know, 20 years ago, implants weren't even a really much of a part of oral surgery. Now they're like an enormous part. So I think the demands of clinicians are probably changing dramatically, whether it's design services or all kinds of things. What kind of things do you think about 
in terms of supporting the needs of clinicians in kind of a rapidly changing environment? Fantastic question. Great thoughts there. I think from our standpoint, what we believe is that we are there as a one-stop shop for implant dentistry in all aspects of implant dentistry. So while we are there to provide products and meet your clinical needs, we believe that it is also our responsibility to ensure that we help you on your practice management needs as well. And one part of that is we have courses in terms of how to educate your staff to be more equipped in terms of handling the workflows. The other is uh, just bedside manner related courses on how best to educate patients on implant treatment and what that can do. We have found that especially when it comes to full arch cases, which can be fairly large cases, there is a lot that you can do in terms of just structuring the practice as well as patient education that can go a long way in making a difference. So there is that practice management and patient education aspects where we have invested in making sure that we have the best possible courses to help our customers. Besides that, I think, as you mentioned, as implant dentistry has evolved, I think prosthetically driven treatment planning will become more and more important. And from that standpoint, I think, how can you start from designing the smile and then work backwards to plan a case and then place the implant will start becoming more and more important. And if the patient can see that based on that, how their smile will look and how they will feel, I think that can become a very important part clinically as well as from marketing standpoint. And that's where, again, I think our real guide platform can really be helpful where we will have a smile design type of module that's again integrated where you can show the patient how the smile would look and then that can really help them assess how valuable that would be and and that can in turn help the practice in terms of educating patients on clinical as well as the aesthetic benefits of implant dentistry. So those are the things that come to my mind when we talk about practice management and the healthcare consumerism aspect of it. It sounds like you and I have to think about our businesses the same way in that, you know, in dentistry, I guess the general dentist, the restorative doctor is kind of at the top of the mountain and they've got to interact with the patient and treatment plan and be able to provide all different kinds of services, whether it's prophylaxis or crowns or bridges or implants or full arch, their job's pretty tough. They got to know how to do a lot of different things. And I feel like as we relate to them, like our job is to do what we do really well, the surgical aspect of the implant process to increase our sophistication so that they can decrease their complexity or their interaction with it because they got enough other things to do. So if we can manage to make it a little simpler for them, more predictable, easier for their patients, then that's a win-win. And then you guys are kind of like, you know, platform below us then, like supporting that. Like if you can help us Absolutely. do that, it kind of, it's like yeah. a paying it forward sort of. Yes. Whatever we can do to make your life easier and your restorative dentist life easier is where we can truly create value. Just the kind of last couple of things, you know, inflation and economy and all that's been a hot topic. And it feels like it's been a hot topic for like a couple of years now and doesn't seem to be changing a whole lot. I saw some estimates the other day that dentistry, the spend on dentistry is down probably somewhere around 3% for the year for 2023 or projected that way. What do you anticipate in the future and how to make decisions in an environment where it's maybe not super certain, although things seem to be going pretty well? We are a private pay business. I mean, even what you do in turn than what Mm -hmm. we do. So it is going to be somewhat dependent on the macroeconomic environment. That said, though, I mean, especially if you look at geographies that are underpenetrated in implant dentistry, that if you truly believe that only one out of four or five patients 
is getting an implant today for a missing tooth, then there is going to be a lot of underpenetration that is still going to be a tailwind. So while our business is going to be susceptible to economic cycles, I don't think it's going to be as susceptible as, let's say, large capital goods, such as like refrigerators and washing machines and stuff. So I think that makes me believe that the market is going to be resilient because you have a lot of tailwinds going on. You have underpenetration of implant dentistry. You have a demographic trend that is going to get, I mean, population is going to get older, more and more old. It mitigates against that economic cycle. And to your point, I think what we have seen is definitely from the 2021 and early 22 highs, the market has softened a little bit, but it's not tanked. And that gives me hope that as long as the economy doesn't crash like what happened in 2008-2009, we will have a stable environment ahead. And if you can continue to innovate and provide real value to surgeons, dentists, and laboratories, then that can really help us drive the penetration and provide this treatment to more eligible patients who otherwise won't get. And that can help hopefully drive the growth of the market as well as the growth of everyone who is participating in the industry. Yeah, I guess if you have to have a job being a dentist or in dentistry, it's probably a pretty safe place. Well, I guess just lastly, kind of in closing, any kind of last words of advice that we at Paradigm should be thinking about to maybe leverage some of the unique things we're doing to continue to grow and be well positioned a decade from now, where you would focus? Yeah, partnering with Simvi would be the best idea for you. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, with, with, <laughs> with, with jokes apart, I think. Again, this adoption of technology to make your practices more efficient and you're providing better clinical and aesthetic treatment for your patients is probably the number one thing. And then you have such great surgeons in your practices, making sure that to your point, I think the team remains intact and can continue to focus on patient care is probably what comes to my mind. But again, as I said, I think you live in this business every day. So it would be presumptuous of me to tell, advise you on what paradigm needs. But as I said, we are here to help you. We love our partnership and hopefully we can create more and more value for paradigm as well as the surgeons and the patients that you serve. Well, Indranil, this has been great. I really appreciate all your help and I've learned a lot and we should definitely do this again sometime. Of course, looking forward to it, Dr. Alice. Thanks a lot for having me. This was a great pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to The Paradigm Concept, brought to you by Paradigm Oral Health, an organization led and owned by surgeons passionate about shaping the future of our specialty and ensuring the needs of the patient come first. Learn more and subscribe to the show at ParadigmHealth.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on The Paradigm Concept.